I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. It's that time of year. The great and good of the horticultural world have descended upon the borough of Chelsea and Kensington to reopen, in May, the world's most famous flower show. This is my second year at the show and I absolutely love it. The excitement and the joy of, through nature and the flowers is actually magnificent. Everybody is here for a grand celebration of horticulture. I love coming here. It's just the most fabulous explosion of every different kind of idea you could have for a garden. Every plant, every piece of sculpture. A day out at the flower show is, you know, absolutely fabulous and good for everyone's soul, you know? Welcome to the RHS Chelsea Flower Show 2022. This year, sponsored by the Newt. I'm Tom Howard, editor of The Garden magazine, and I'm here just outside the Great Pavilion, where over 60 of the world's finest nurseries are here to show off the very best they have to offer. And I've got to say, the atmosphere on site is jubilant, despite the slightly overcast weather. This is the first May Chelsea we've had for three years. Last year was in September. The year before, it was cancelled, so there is a real feeling that things are back to normal, and it's very exciting. There's a hustle, and there's a bustle, and there's maybe a few famous people knocking around. Coming up today, we'll be visiting the spectacular show gardens along Main Avenue to spot trends and the cutting edge design ideas on show, exploring the balcony and container gardens that have been designed for urban living and meeting some incredible first time Chelsea designers. But I want to start this week's episode with one of the big themes of the show this year, which is all about bringing wildlife back into gardens and back into Chelsea Flower Show. There's a far less formal feel at Chelsea this year than there has been perhaps in past years. There are lots and lots of plants for pollinators, lots of wild planting, lots of gardens designed very specifically to bring nature back into the garden. Among the most pollinator-focused gardens is Joe Swift's garden, which is the BBC Studios R Green Planet and RHS Bee Garden, which has been specifically designed with bees in mind. And we caught up with him prior to the show in Build Week. My name's Joe Swift, I'm at the Chelsea Flower Show and I'm in the middle of the build of my RHS garden for bees and pollinators. We're surrounded by builders and machinery and squeaking wheelbarrows, there's one. Behind you is a water feature over here which I'm really pleased with. We've just turned that on and that's very soothing and calming. The whole design is based on a bee's wing, so when you see it from above, it's a bee's wing that I've sort of extruded areas out to turn into seating areas and paved areas. 
and then all the planting around the outside is for pollinators so we've got you know massive amount of perennials i've designed these bee houses which are another quite a main feature people are trying to buy them off me but they're not for sale um, and the key with bee houses they need to be dismantleable so they can be cleaned throughout the winter otherwise you know they can harbor disease and you get woodpeckers that completely annihilate uh, colonies and they also need to be kept dry so they've got a lid on and then I've got some areas of shallow water for bees, so pebbles around the water feature and the lids of the bee houses as well are going to just hold a little bit of shallow water because they can't swim. Even though I've got a big pond in the garden, that's mainly just for sort of a bit of Chelsea bling, I think we call it. It's a garden that visitors have to be able to access, so it's got to be wheelchair friendly as well, so easily accessible. And it's somewhere where people can sit on a lot of the gardens at Chelsea, you can't, you know, actually get on to but this one's going to be full of people throughout the week hopefully enjoying it and getting ideas for their own gardens i think it's mainly just thinking about the planting really you know having early flowers for bees and winter flowers for bees so trying to extend the season for as long as possible creating hierarchies of plants trees and then shrubs and then a layer of perennials and try and have something in flower and simple open flowers as well that are pollen and nectar rich so nothing too hybridized just yeah really good old-fashioned cottage plants really it just sort of weaves another bit of narrative through a garden but at the same time it just makes our gardens more interesting and beautiful anyway so it's a sort of win-win situation for all of us I don't want to hammer the point home too much I just want people to think about when they're planting oh yeah this would be really good at this time of year yeah pollinators can access it easily then what's going to happen after that you know because you once once they start coming to your garden you want to keep them coming as well and then create simple habitats and just provide a little bit of water it's a simple story really Thank you very much, Joe Swift. I'm in Joe's garden now, and it is fantastic. I think the thing I like the most about it is that although it is designed by a master craftsman, the plants in it are very accessible. You've got your GM Totally Tangerine, Salvia Caradonna, Allium nigra, Euphorbia mellifera, stuff that is very, very easy to get hold of. So, you know, with a bit of thought and a bit of guile, it wouldn't be that difficult to recreate this scene. Things that perhaps would be more difficult to recreate would be the hard landscaping in the shape of the bee wings, which is also fantastic. And the foxgloves, I've just noticed them, these huge spires of white and purple flowers. There's a bit of sweet rocket over there. There's loads and loads and loads of flowers, and the bees have done their job. They have spotted that this is a garden made for pollinators, and they have come in their masses. It's fantastic. The beehive is excellent. It's hard to describe. It's sort of the shape of a screw and that it starts off quite wide and gets thinner as it goes down, slightly mushroomed top, very nice. And all in all, very good garden, very relaxing, very peaceful, nice place to be, good planting, great flowers, good for the environment. What more could you want? Another incredibly well thought through wildlife garden at Chelsea this year that's been getting a lot of attention and actually, I think, the most attention of any garden at Chelsea this year because it's so different is the rewilding Britain garden which has been designed by first-time Chelsea designers Lulu Urquhart and Adam Hunt and they are using native plants to showcase a rewilded landscape what it would look like after the reintroduction of beavers in the southwest of England there's a beaver dam in it and I'm pretty sure that this is the first and only time a beaver dam has ever been on site at Chelsea and we caught up with them to hear about their concept where it came from the ideas behind it during the build-up to Chelsea last week. 
We are Lulu Urquhart and Adam Hunt, and we have a studio called Urquhart and Hunt, which is landscape design and ecological restoration. And we're here at Chelsea on the rewilding Britain Garden. We're sitting in the rudimentary beaver viewing hide, and it's made out of all reclaimed materials. It's quite rustic, it's got a corrugated iron roof, and we've used old elm floorboards for the sides and there's an old barn door to get in. The name of our garden is the Rewilding Britain Garden and it's for the charity Rewilding Britain. The Rewilding Britain Garden shows the process of rewilding via an ecosystem engineer and beavers are what's called an ecosystem engineer and it means that their activity is so significant they create habitats, micro-niches and benefits for other ecology and wildlife. Some people describe them as a keystone species, so within an environment they're the keystone species that everything else hangs on. So if you go to a beaver landscape, you'll see pools, you'll see sticks, you'll see dead wood, you'll see trees cut down, you'll see trees flourishing, and they just create this mosaic of different habitats that benefits butterflies, fauna, all kinds of fauna, for example, and especially waterfalls, young juvenile salmonoids, trout and salmon, and also a whole range of insects and wading and rivering birds. Yeah, the food sources increase so dramatically through water life being in a healthy balance of amphibians and fish that then the other mammals and birds around that that feed on those fish, like otters or kingfishers or you know any number of other birds, they start to really thrive and they look for those kind of habitats in the landscape. Where we realise we're at in Britain, there aren't habitats that successfully and succinctly hold and support flourishing life of our animals and our, our plants and our insects. And so I think it's just really important for us to change our lens and remember a flourishing biodiversity. And this is what we passionately feel is important to bring to the public at this time. We think that this garden is important for Chelsea because rewilding brings a message of hope. We went to a beaver dam in South Devon and while we were standing there, we saw a white stork flying over. Obviously, suitable habitat, huge, great floodplain, which has now got some beavers in it. And those little moments are just full of joy, and we want to try and bring that message across in the garden. Beavers themselves are one of the species that are quite easy to introduce. They have a very positive impact on flood alleviation. They're quite contained in that they don't stray that far from the rivers and they're not significant predators in the way that, for example, lynx or wolf might be. So there are certain species that are being introduced at the moment, of which beaver in the UK is one, the Eurasian beaver, that are in a way testing the public opinion and pushing it forwards. And it seems to be a very, very positive response. We've talked to many farmers who are saying, well, where their fields are affected, it's pretty much land that gets flooded anyway, so it's not that useful in farming terms. So we're not only talking about beavers with this garden, we're talking about rewilding as a process. And a beaver landscape fits Chelsea quite well, because obviously we're constantinering a much larger landscape into 150 square metres. And 
you know, the positive benefits of allowing a small amount of marginal land or particularly land around waterways, instead of farming right close up to it, allowing these waterways and the marginal places some space and breath for nature to re-establish herself, it's a cyclical beneficial thing. So what you'll find is this beautiful curved stone wall that moves along with the shapes of the landscape. Everything's quite organic and in natural flow. There's a drier wooded edge at the top of the garden with some beautiful planting underneath it relating to that woodland floor. You'll find the stream coming through under the wall, a natural stream that's then been dammed by a beaver or a pair of beavers, as you like. They've built a lodge around the Salix alba, the white willow tree, and you can see that. And you can even see a little hole where they'll swim in and out to go in and out of their home. And the pool's been dammed very proficiently by our beavers. All the sticks we've used in the lodge and the dam have been beaver gnawed. So you see tooth grooves and markings of the beavers' teeth on everything. They've all come from bona fide beaver source, you know, places in Britain that have a license and have beavers in pens. And from the dam, there are tributaries of water rather than one straight stream. And in this area, we're able to show a really strong diversity of habitat around water. So we've got fast moving water where salmonoids and trout would be spawning. And on the other side, flowing into the wetland meadow, you'll find slower pooling water. And again, this is really beneficial habitat for water voles and many, many other species. So it's fun, it's playful. And then the meadows below are wetland meadows and the plants is chosen are true to those. And that again has been a real joy working with wetland plants actually. There's a really lovely nature to them, their watery quality, really, really enjoyable process building those meadows and working out together as a planting team, like, would this plant be growing like this? You know, are we representing this correctly? And, you know, moving things around. No, I don't think so. I think it's going to be more bunchy. I think it's going to be more by itself. And we're encouraged by Rewilding Britain to really just, you know, emulate nature and emulate that wow of the natural processes. Yeah. You know, I use the word bio-flourishing, just, I don't think it really exists, but I love, <laughs> I love the term, I love the idea of a flourishing of biodiversity, a real celebration. And, you know, like Adam has said, to give us hope that we can do this in the future, we can bring back homes for nature. We think the garden's working because we've already seen a lot of nature using it. So. There's two blackbirds, a male and a female, who for a week now, every evening, come and have a bath in our beaver pool and perch on the sticks on the beaver lodge. We've got a holly blue, couple of holly blue butterflies that are flying around and also painted ladies and peacocks and large cabbage whites. And we've in fact got some solitary bees already nesting in our dry stone walls. So we're not sure what we're going to do when we take it down. We'll have to leave a bit for them or something. The nature of the Royal Hospital seems to like our garden. Some of the favourite plants that are really looking so beautiful in the garden now are the Ranunculus lingua, which is a long-leafed um, water buttercup. And it's yellow, it's buttercup yellow, and it meets our land buttercup really well. I've fallen in love with it during this process. You know, I think we all have actually. We all love the way it's poised. It sits in the water streams and it just has a real bright spark. 
one of the plants I've fallen in love with is Marsh Valerian. We only discovered it a few months ago and we managed to find some. It's similar to Valeriana officinalis, but its Latin name is Valeriana dioica. And it just grows up to about 30 centimetres. And it's very sweet, uh, really interesting little umbellifor style flower. Very delicate. And we're just quite intrigued by it, really, because we've never grown it before. We know it likes its feet wet. And it fits really well in a matrix planting with the yuncus and with some of the shorter grasses. It's a sweet little thing, and we're really pleased to show it off. When the garden opens and people get a chance to come and see it or see it from their screens, I think my hope is that it touches their heart and they have a connection to it and it feels real and alive and very, very possible. My hope for people seeing the garden is that it really encourages them to go and see many of the Rewilding Britain network projects that are going on around the country. I'd love them. To just go along, it's really hard to put into words the experience of seeing some of these landscapes. A lot of the experience is through the soundscape, which is one of the things we're losing through biodiversity too. Just that possibility of something different, that possibility that we can live alongside many of these animals we've lost to our landscape. And in the future, our children and young people can enjoy them again. I think that's what I'd hope. Thank you to Lulu Urquitt and Adam Hunt, who we spoke to during the build-up for Chelsea. I'm here at their garden now with my fellow podcasters, Gareth Richards and Guy Barter. Hello, guys. How has your show been? It's been glorious. It's so good to be back at Chelsea in May. Yes, it's been fantastic. I'm utterly exhausted now and I just long to sit down. So I think let's go into the beaver hide in this garden and have a chat about the surroundings we find ourselves in. Do you love the garden, Gareth? I do. It feels so different to all the other gardens at Chelsea. It feels genuinely like a really kind of little wild slice of southwest England and that, that's what they aim to do and I think they've been really, really successful in that. What key planting combos have you noticed? So there's some lovely multi-stemmed willows which just sway in the breeze and just give that lovely feeling of wildness. There's tussock sedges which are an amazing native plant that build up over the centuries. They used to be used as kneelers in churches and so each layer will just gradually build over time. So they can be many hundreds of years old and there's just this, this kind of unique part of our flora. There's lovely buttercups and water forget-me-nots. It's quite a joyful celebration of, of native British flora. Well, I love this garden. I'm from the southwest of England anyways, and this, it captures the spirit of it perfectly with the muddy pond and the willow and uh, lots of flag irises round the edges. And I particularly like this hide we're sitting in. It's typical of the sheds that dot the corners of fields all around southwest England, of bits of old timber, tree trunks holding it up and some corrugated iron on the roof. It's very charming. And also we're supplied with some piped bird sound, which you can hear in the background. It's a, it's a lovely soundtrack and what they've tried to do is they've got sounds of past and present and hopefully future flora as we get more species in, in rewilding. So there's sounds of something called the night heron, which is a species that they hope to bring back into this country. So it's a soundtrack of hope, I think, which is a, a lovely kind of positive message. Guy, which elements of this garden would be easy to recreate at home? Well, anyone can make a nice shallow pond and uh, you have to go easy on the flag irises because they tend to be a bit invasive, but that's what compost heaps are for. Then there's the, uh, the grassy banks, but if you have areas that are hard to mow, then let them grow taller. One of the 
plants that you see around this garden are cow parsley or cow parsley look-alikes and there's lots of those on offer nowadays and easy to grow so you can add those which are great for pollinators as well you can also coppice trees like the willows are coppice i think the trees should be coppiced and pollarded more to keep them in size for small gardens we don't have enough trees in small gardens um, but you can um, manage them by judicious pruning and while you guys have been mooching around have you picked up on any visitor reaction to the garden as you mentioned earlier it really is different mm. to all the other gardens on main avenue it's wilder that's yeah. and that's the whole yeah. point how have you seen people reacting to that i think people look calmer when they're near to it, surprisingly. Everyone looks very chilled and they're smiling and they're not kind of furiously scribbling notes. They're just looking more relaxed. And the wildlife has responded to it as well, actually. And solitary bees have already started nesting in that wall during the build. And he's just like, that's incredible. It shows how quickly animals will respond. <laughs> ah. There's one now. <laughs> what do we think that is? I don't know. It's like a cow in pain. <laughs> Maybe that's a night heron. <laughs> While we're here, tell me about your Chelsea highlights. So I really love, that right at the top of Main Avenue, you've got a fantastic garden by Sarah Eberly. It's got a gigantic waterfall. It's got some beautiful native and exotic planting all mixed in together. So you've got lovely woodland plants from like Japan and various other places mixed with buttercups. And it's just so, so refreshing and so, so different. I really enjoyed seeing that. How about you, Guy? I rather like the balcony and patio gardens where the, the set designer, as it were, has produced an interesting layout this year and then uh, designers have come up with all sorts of different ideas and materials and plants for making a, a long-lasting and easy-to-care-for effect on a really, really small space that would fit many, many city gardens. We're heading there later, actually. Exciting. Have you noticed the big difference between the May planting this year and the September planting that we had? last year does it feel different vibe different plants different atmosphere yeah absolutely i must say that i felt um, designers and nurseries struggled to produce plant material last year because for the spring show they've got years and years of experience of getting things in flower and looking right at just the right time and it's a difficult season between the spring season and the summer season so it's demanding for both designers and nurseries and that level of experience and expertise just wasn't available for last year's show and also the, there wasn't the same period of, of planning as well so although last year's show was 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 good it's really really refreshing to be back at the correct season for Chelsea Flower Show and designers have gone all out not just the the Chelsea favourites foxgloves peonies lupins um, but some really interesting uh, colour combinations and we're particularly struck by the purple um, and the purple poppy is the is, is the plant of the show for us it does seem to be the emblem of Chelsea this year it's in quite a few gardens but well, Gareth you and I spent a period of time yesterday pottering about the show gardens picking up on trends mm. and you were talking a lot about the use of native trees could you elaborate on that please yes because there's been a lot of concern about pests and diseases coming into the country so things like xylella which hits olive trees which come over from Italy you've seen designers respond to that by bringing in lots and lots of native plants lots of British grown stuff and so here, for example, in front of the rewilding Britain garden, you've got some gorgeous coppiced willow trees. In the next garden, you can see a multi-stemmed hawthorn. There's lots of hornbeam hedges everywhere. There's even hornbeams used as domes and ewes used as domes, which is really interesting because you're seeing native plants used in new and inventive ways. Guy, the Great Pavilion, what's caught your eye? 
Well, the Great Pavilion is always my favourite place to be. I absolutely love it. I've been coming to Chelsea for 30 years and some of the nurseries there have been exhibiting every year over that period. And I do love the Delphiniums and Blackmore and Langdon, for example, who also bring along their begonias. They're absolutely spectacular. And no matter how carefully you choose the seeds, you can never match those fantastic Chelsea Delphiniums. And uh, I particularly like the centre of the show. We call it the Monument and uh, that's planted up in a very uh, interesting way for, to celebrate the Queen's Jubilee and the Green Pavilion, which is fantastic. And all the usual exhibitors are there with wonderful selections of roses. Again, it's the difficult season between summer and spring, but they managed to get some fantastic roses. And coming round last week, before it was quite so busy, I, and it, was, it was warmer, I caught the scent of the roses uh, fantastically. So um, that's something to look forward to. And as usual, there's a fantastic clematis display here, which is deeply inspiring. I think roses and clematis seem to be the most, some of the most popular plants among RHS members, judging by the questions we get. And two of them are nominated for Plant of the Year as well, aren't they? So we've got Bring Me Sunshine from David Austin and we've got, it's Her Majesty, I think, isn't it? Elizabeth, isn't Sorry, it? Sorry, Elizabeth, yeah, that's it. Elizabeth. Yeah, two from David Austin and one from Peter Beale. So it'll be interesting to see who wins out the coveted crown. I've got a feeling it could be a rose. Thanks so much, Gareth and Guy. It's been fab to catch up. Enjoy the rest of your week. Cheers, thank you for having us. Yep, see you at Hampton Court. But it's not just us podcasters and horticulturists who've been soaking in all the wonderful designs here at Chelsea. The show is brimming with members of the public and famous faces. And earlier we caught up with a few familiar voices to hear why they find the Chelsea Flower Show so exciting. So first of all, let's hear from RHS Ambassador Baroness Floella Benjamin. The excitement and the joy of, through nature and through the environment and through the flowers is actually magnificent. I went to the Blue Peter Garden. I love the fact they're getting children into gardening through the soil because far too often it's just through the plants you know, and the vegetables. But this is actually learning about soil, about what it means to have good soil. If you don't have good soil, you don't have good plants. <laughs> you don't have good flowers. So it's actually the excitement of learning about all that. I think it's absolutely thrilling. It's great it's going to go to Bridgewater. And as a RHS ambassador, Working with children means the world to me, and that's a fantastic way of introducing children to gardening. I don't think I've ever missed a Chelsea flower show for the last 35 years, but it's great to be back in May. It's the start of the season, as you say. My name is Stephen Merchant, and I'm here at the RHS Chelsea Flower Show. Hello, this is Zoe Ball coming to you from RHS Chelsea. Hello, I'm Ashling B. Hello, my name is Joe Sugg. It's the GC and I'm at the Chelsea Flower Show today, loving life. I love coming here. It's just the most fabulous explosion of every different kind of idea you could have for a garden. Every plant, every piece of sculpture. And I just think it's back in May after the pandemic and everybody's so grateful and happy to be here. And the rain is not putting anybody off. This is my second year at the show and I absolutely love it. I bought some lovely seeds here last year and they have been the most beautiful bloom this spring in my garden. So whilst I'm here, I'm definitely gonna be shopping up some more seeds and it's just a lovely day out, you know. We live in such a fake society now. Fake people, fake everything. That a day out at the flower show is, you know, absolutely fabulous and good for everyone's soul, you know? 
I am here because I absolutely love the nuts out of plants, etc. And my friend Jane Porter has a gorgeous garden here and she's hoping to win the top award. So I've got a, a little in there. I love that I know a celebrity gardener as well. I feel like I'm in, in the cool garden world, which is a, a club that's very hard to get into. I love Chelsea Flower Show because the variety of different approaches to gardening on display. You can really get a sense of what you can achieve in a window box, or at the same time, you can work out what you might do if you had a stately home with a huge meadow. So there's something for everybody, and I love the way that it just really galvanizes enthusiasts of gardening, and just brings everybody together who just loves growing things. I mean, I'm pretty novice, I don't mean to brag, but I have got my own vegetable patch now, and I've been growing carrots very successfully but I need to thin them out. That's how successful they've been. I need to thin out my carrots. I don't know how to do that, but I'm hoping I'm gonna find out today. I've now taken on a bit of a garden myself, so coming here now with a much larger garden, I'm getting so much inspiration from these places and thinking, I want that, but I also want this, and I want that. It's gonna be fun. It's gonna be a busy couple of years, I think. <laughs> I'm going to take a lot of inspiration, then go home and probably do nothing about it. Like when you go to a nice restaurant and think, I could make this at home, and you just go home and have pasta. I think there's so many different types of gardens here, and so much of it is focusing on sustainability and the planet and climate and stuff like that. So I actually think it's getting more and more relevant, this show, and it's becoming more and more accessible. Well, I actually do need to renovate my garden at home, so yeah, I don't know whether I can smuggle any of this stuff out. If you could wrangle some kind of shopping trolley for me, I think I could get quite a nice little bounty here and uh, save myself a pretty penny. Thank you very much to Floella Benjamin, Zoe Ball, Gemma Collins, Tom Allen, Joe Sugg, Ashleen B and Stephen Merchant. There is inspiration around every corner at Chelsea and it is fab to hear what everyone is going to get planting in their own gardens. And it really does not matter how big your garden is. This year at Chelsea, the balcony and container gardens have returned, featuring pocket-sized realistic gardens in the footprint of a 2 by 5 metre balcony. Two of the standout gardens in this section come from Manchester-based first-time Chelsea designers Jason Williams and B. Tan. Hi, so I'm Jason, I am the Cloud Gardener and we are here at the RHS Chelsea Flower Show on my very own Cirrus Garden. <laughs> so this is actually the second year that the RHS have had the balcony and container garden section and I think it's really super, super important because a lot of people throughout lockdown like myself have started gardening and it's a really important category. It represents a lot of people in the country, but it also just shows what you can do in a small space. So I started gardening in 2020. The only thing we could do was go for walks and the garden centers were open. So I ended up picking a couple of plants, marigolds being one of them, and my garden just kind of grew. And what I soon learned is just how important gardening is to mental health. Once I'd felt like I had learned enough, I had created my online social media under Cloud Gardener UK on my YouTube, Instagram, Facebook and Twitter and literally showing people how to garden on a balcony because there is nothing like that and I thought it was really important to share what I'd learned. But I also share my journey with mental health just so that people can kind of connect the dots and see how it affects my anxiety and how it helps me on a day-to-day -day basis. The word I hear quite often when people describe this garden is vibrant. It's extremely colourful. We have some deep purples, some bright oranges, some pinks, and the garden was 
inspired by a sunset that I'd seen from my very own cloud garden in Manchester. And the containers serve a different purpose as well as just being bright and vibrant. They also help me to reflect the sunlight, which means that actually I water my garden less. So it's a really useful tip. So on the Cirrus Garden, I have uh, plenty of edibles. So I've got a herb tower, and then next to the herb tower, I've got a salad tower, and that's got a whole heap of leafy greens. Now, unfortunately, because it's normally 15 degrees warmer on my garden, I can't really get my salads to grow fully. They tend to bolt and go to seed. So what I do is I densely pack them, and then I use the cut and come again method and just harvest as and when I need them. That then trails down into the pond, and I brought my fish with me from Manchester <laughs> and I use fish pond water to fertilize the garden and the fish pond also hosts a lot of edible plants so I've got some water chestnuts in there I have some watercress water nasturtiums lots and lots of edible foods and that way I'm still maximizing on the space it's really important, you know, this category of container gardening and balcony gardening because it gives designers like myself an opportunity to kind of discuss more about the ecosystem and the microclimate of your balcony. And one of the things I teach quite a lot on my social media platforms is that it's not just a collection of pots. It's actually an ecosystem which needs managing. My microclimate being 15 degrees warmer on a sunny day really affects the kind of plants that I can grow. Equally so, my garden is super, super windy. So if you were to look at my plants here, a lot of my plants have got really small leaves and that helps because on a windy day, there's less transpiration going through. So that means that I water less and that the plants are more comfortable. So one that you can't go wrong with are salvias. So I've got plenty of different varieties of salvias on my garden. But when I made my choices for the planting list, they are all plants that you can get from your local inner city garden centers. And yeah, it's really, really important. And I'm so happy and proud to be here at Chelsea, being able to tell this story and teach people. <laughs> I'm Bee and we're in my Chelsea garden at the moment. It's called the Enchanted Rain Garden and it's inspired by Manchester, which is where I'm from. So I'm 22, so as far as I'm aware, I'm the youngest here and as far as I've been told. I went to the University of Sheffield and I did landscape architecture and I graduated from there last summer. And since then I've worked as a landscape architect and kind of just wanted to do something a bit different, give it a try. And I thought doing the container garden category would be a really good chance to do that as somebody who hasn't done anything like this before. So it's called the Enchanted Rain Garden because I looked to the Manchester climate to inspire all of the planting choices and all the materials. So I wanted to think of a place that looks the most beautiful in the rain because in Manchester it rains more days than it's sunny. So I thought there was no point designing a garden that just only looks nice in the sun, like that idyllic kind of, you know, typical sunny garden because we don't have many sunny days. So I thought about the forest, which is a place that always looks really nice when it's wet. So I took inspiration by getting these stone containers which are covered in moss to kind of reflect the stone that you get in the forest. And then I've chosen woodland planting, which is quite robust and won't look trampled in the rain. So I've got a lot of native ferns to obviously reflect the kind of planting that you find in the woods. I've also used hostas because they're good in damp shade. I've used a few different varieties that I've been able to come across. Mm -hmm. 
wanted to definitely give a sense of place and reflect Manchester, which is why I've chosen to do the red brick wall and also why I've got a lot of my materials brought over from Manchester as well because I really wanted to stay true to that idea. But I also think that in general, designing for the place that you live in is always the best thing to do, especially when it comes to like climate and that kind of thing. If you're wishfully designing for a climate that you're not in and then the planting doesn't thrive, then that's not the best, obviously. But if you can take on board the climate, especially the changing climate, now and in the next like 50 years, and you can create something that really looks best for that climate and something that's really going to thrive, hopefully it can make something really great. It feels so exciting. I'm so happy and I still can't believe that I'm here. And I was really nervous, but now that I'm here, I feel confident. And I'm just like so happy to be able to see this garden that I designed actually exist in real life. And I just, I can't believe it. Yeah, I'm so happy. Thank you to B-Tan and Jason Williams. It is fantastic to hear about people embracing gardening, not only in tiny spaces, but also at height and against the elements. It makes total sense that Chelsea Flower Show is the highlight of the horticultural calendar. It is a combination of all the great things we can achieve just by gardening. And we've just heard that Lulu Urquhart and Adam Hunt have won gold and best in show. So many, many congratulations to them. It's been an excellent day. And if you'd like to explore Chelsea even further and read more about everything featured in this episode, visit the RHS website at rhs.org.uk slash podcast. I am off to look at some rainbow beetroot now. So from me, Tom Howard, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress Robotic Lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets and you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.